0: Welcome back. Hi, guys. Episode 15. Episode 15. Are we sure about that? Yes. Okay. And we are bringing you a good one. This is a good one. Um,
1: But first, this is Killer Babes. I'm Katie. And I'm Kirby. Yeah. Just had to get that out of the way. In case
0: anyone here is new. For our new listeners, check out our most recent episodes and start from the beginning if you so choose to. You don't have to. But it'd be nice. It'd be nice for us. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe nice for you, too. Um, yeah, you
1: guys, we are chilling here. Um, it's great weather. Great weather. We,
0: uh, I'm drinking a barefoot spritzer. And I have a Far From the Tree, which is in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, it's a cider place and it's called Apple of My Chai. Get it? Yeah. it's like chai cider. Penny. Actually, can I have a sip because it's been a while? Yeah, Thanks. it's very sweet. It's a really sweet one, but I like. It smells drinks. like chai. Yeah, it does. You can definitely taste the spices. It's really good. Unique to the core. Oh, that's...
1: Wow, the puns are just everywhere. Yeah, they're all over the can. That's a good one. It's kind of old because we got it a while ago. (laughs) I almost think it might be
0: like a year old now.
1: We got it around Halloween. Yeah,
0: but it's still good. Still kicking. <laughs> it says it pairs well with leaf raking campfires, world series wins and flannel. That's perfect. You were leaf you were kind of leaf raking today? Kind of. Yeah, I was doing a lot of yard work, guys. Yard work is incredibly terrible. <laughs> I recommend spending the money and getting someone else to do it for you. A landscaper. Yeah, because there's no satisfaction. Um, From the Snapchat, I got, it wasn't you doing it. It was you taking pictures of uh, our friends doing it for you. I did a lot of the work, I will say. Maybe, like, yeah, I would say it's a third. We I mean, someone thirds. has to be the boss. Someone has to manage everything. Oh, my God, that's what they said. They said, I made a great supervisor.
1: <laughs> they were
0: making fun of you. <laughs> Well, it's true. I'm a supervisor. I ask anyone I've supervised. Oh, God. But anyway, the case yeah. we're bringing you this week, guys, is a little controversial out there. Um, mm, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, and not necessarily like some of the other cases we've done, but it's kind of whether you believe or don't believe. Yeah. So there's paranormal. There's crime cases. You can believe it. You can choose not to believe it, whether the evidence is there or not. It's up to you. I mean. A crime case, it's not if you choose, like, it happened. Or maybe, okay, who the killer is. Okay. Like, you don't don't know who the killer is. Yeah. But this one, it's kind of a strange case. Yeah, this would fall under the
1: spooky shit category of our podcast. Okay. Not not the true crime category, you feel me? Feel ya. Okay. Yeah, there's no correlation, really, to anything besides the fact that we heard about this Mm -hmm. case. Thought it was incredibly interesting. And also, it did come up, was it, last? no, it was a couple episodes ago. Yeah, Danvers. With Danvers, you guys, we were talking about Danvers. And I was talking about, I was, like, really excited about American Horror Story. I was hyping it big time. Honestly, but who isn't excited about I it? I know, though? it's true. And I was talking about the, or, like, the one plot line in that series, mm-hmm. the Asylum season, where Evan Peters and his, like, new wife- get abducted by aliens, quote-unquote. But, like, if there's more to it. I think that everyone thinks he killed her. But, like, basically, they were a couple, and they were in New Hampshire, and it was, like, an alien sighting, and they were an interracial couple. Mm-hmm. And we said... It's loosely based off of it. Yes. So we said that this is loosely based off of a case that actually did happen in New Hampshire, and that it was on our list of things to do... So we done it. And guess what? We got around to that checklist really pretty fast. Yeah, I love checklists.
0: Yeah. I'm a checklist queen. We, yeah, we have a list of them and we cross them <laughs> off when we're done. We're like, now check. It's satisfying to me. Yes. Crossing something off. We
1: wanted to cross this one off, but it's also more than that. We like actually wanted to look into it. and Yeah. The more I read about, about it. it, I was
0: definitely fascinated.
1: Yeah. I never really thought of my, this is, so this is about an alien abduction. Yes. I never really thought about of myself as like a believer. Not even that. I just never really thought I was like interested in aliens or oh, like yeah. that whole section. I was always just kind of like, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> like, it's like weird. But like looking into it, I'm like, oh, this is interesting
0: mm-hmm. because, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll yeah. we'll bring you some facts from believers and we'll bring you some facts from non-believers because mm-hmm. I think they both make really valid points, which makes it really hard for someone to say where they fall on this spectrum. I think
1: so, um but first we're we're bringing you an actual ca- story, I guess I should say mm-hmm. account an account, a firsthand account um from a couple in New Hampshire, and um we're going to tell you their story and what happened with them, and then I think we'll just kind of share our thoughts on, yeah, the general idea mm-hmm. of alien abductions.
0: Yeah, so we'll just dive in, if you didn't get that from the beginning, we are during the UFO abduction of Barney and Betty Hill in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, it's not the first case of alien abduction, but the encounter of Betty and Barney Hill in September 1961 in New Hampshire is considered to be the first that really captured the attention of our nation. And with every claim of alien abduction, there are skeptics, but many, including the Hills, consider it to be beyond real. Barney and Betty Hill were an interracial couple during a time where many in the U.S. were still pretty against the idea of integration and equal rights, let alone interracial couples. Many who hear this story believe that this alone cements the fact that they would not have made this story up because they really would not have wanted this kind of attention thrust their way. I mean, they received international attention and it kind of painted them in a not so positive light to some. This unique case would offer invaluable insight into the popular abduction phenomenon that would then later unfold over the upcoming decades. It would also give us star maps, which we'll talk about later, by Betty Hill, but they would appear to be accurate and perhaps provide a clue to where the visitors were coming from. Due to the Hill's openness, it gave many the desire to explore the case. There is a plethora of knowledge out there, especially at Betty Hill's, Alma Mater, the University of New Hampshire (UNH). None, neither of us went there, but no,
1: (laughs) (laughs) just saying. Uh, Okay, so this is now the actual story as told by Betty and Barney Hill. It starts at around ten thirty p.m. on September nineteenth, nineteen sixty-one. Mister Barney and Missus Betty Hill, along with their dog Delcie, were driving back to their home in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. They were returning from a short vacation at Niagara Falls on the Canadian side. Barney Hills was employed by the United States Postal Service. He also sat on a local board of the United States Commission on Civil Rights and was heavily involved in the civil rights movement at a time when it was pretty dangerous work. Barney was given several awards for his work with civil rights, including one from the governor of New Hampshire. He was even invited to the inauguration ceremony of President Lyndon Johnson as a thank you for his service to his country. Betty Hill graduated from UNH, as we said, and she went on to become a social worker. Both the Hills were active in the local Unitarian congregation and were members of the NAACP. Everyone seemed to have a lot of respect for the Hills. So now we're jumping back to the night of September 19th of 1961. Side note, uh, the Hills from what we read, had only been married for about a year at this point. So on the way home, as Barney was driving, Betty pointed out a strange moving light in the night sky somewhere south of the town of Lancaster. Betty reasoned at the time that it must have just been a falling star or a comet. Later in an interview, she even joked that she thought she was discovering a new planet. But then it began to move vertically and grow, and she persuaded Barney to stop the vehicle. It also happened to be a great time to walk their dog. They stopped in the area of Indian Head at a picnic area, so Barney could walk the dog and Betty took a pair of binoculars out and examined the strange light. She claimed she witnessed an odd-shaped craft ma- past the moon, and she could see different colored lights flashing through the binoculars. Betty claimed she tried attracting the attention of the strange aircraft. She was waving her arms out it, shouting, "Hey, hey, come over here!" <laughs> Soon, the aircraft descended over the highway and stopped in midair directly in front of the hills, maybe 50 feet in the air. She called out to Barney to come and inspect the strange sight, asking if he saw a flying saucer looking shape, much like what her sister apparently had claimed to see several years before. Barney had a pistol in his pocket and he grabbed the binoculars and he stepped out of the car, Bravely, he approached the object that blocked their way home. He brought the binoculars to his eyes and said that he could see a row of windows in front of this object and that in the windows stood 8 to 11 human-looking figures. From Barney's viewpoint, there appeared to be a panel at the back of the large object. At this point, the craft began to descend and Barney got really, really frightened. He
0: ran back to the car and the couple peeled back off onto the highway. They headed toward Franconia Notch, and the object or light continued to follow them. While it was still a little far away from them, it seemed to be getting closer and closer. Betty said it got so close, maybe 40 feet away, that she could see it rotating as it moved. There were no sounds, but it crept closer to them. The craft followed them for about 30 miles, and then suddenly it was right in front of the hill's car, and it appeared in the middle of the road, causing Barney to hit the brakes. It was at least a hundred feet above the ground, but it was so large it filled the road and the view from their windshield. No noise came from this supposed plane that Barney described as a pancake-looking shape. Mm, I want pancake. Ooh, yeah, or waffles, chocolate waffles. Did you ever have chocolate? chocolate waffles the other day? Ooh, uh,
1: what? No, no, I never. Oh, like, oh, yeah, no, you said you I did It just like sounded really good. Yeah, But I didn't get any. That's one thing
0: I kind of want. It's so unnecessary, but a waffle maker.
1: Like a Belgian waffle maker? Yes. I wouldn't even label that as unnecessary. You don't think so? No, there are definitely more unnecessary things that you buy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. Yeah. Mm, So true. Well, anyway, Barney noticed the men. There, or what he thought were men, the human looking figures. There was one being that he could make out that seemed to be dressed in a glossy black uniform of some sort and looking directly at Barney. Then, a voice in his head said, Stay where you are and keep looking. A large structure emerged from the underside of the object, and red lights, connected to what appeared to be wings, began to detach from the large object and descend to the ground where Barney was standing. Later, he recalled that it was then he realized these beings were somehow not human. He turned and ran back to the car, screaming at Betty, they're going to capture us. He hopped in the car and started up. The large object was now right on top of them. They sped off and then Betty put down the window. They could hear buzzing and beeping sound and then the car started to vibrate. They both recalled feeling a dullness come over them and they felt like they weren't in control. All of a sudden, the beeping and buzzing snapped them back to reality. Barney looked down and his hands were on the steering wheel. Shaken up, they looked at each other, very confused, and they would later find out that they were 35 miles south of their previous location, and they had absolutely no recollection of anything that happened during that time or how they got there. The last thing that they could actually remember was rolling down the window and hearing those strange beeping noises. They both had one solid memory of making a sudden turn while driving and seeing a fiery orb in the road. By the time they arrived home, it was just after dawn, about two miles About two hours after they should have been gone, over 30 miles or two hours of the journey was missing from their memories. And this was just the start of the weird things to come for Barney and Betty Hill over the next 10 days until they actually sought out help from UFO investigators. Barney and Betty's Hill's watches had both stopped working and they were never going to work again. Betty's dress was torn and had weird pink powder on it, And the binoculars they used during the trip had a leather strap and it was torn. There is no knowledge of it ripping during the trip. Barney's dress shoes were scraped on the top. And if you think that's weird, if you think all of this is weird, this is really just the tip of a very, very weird, dark iceberg. Just the tip. Just the tip.
1: (laughs) Uh, When they got home, they both felt the need to take a shower and another and another. They just kind of felt tainted by this whole thing or contaminated. Barney had the urge to check his genitals, but found nothing. Betty had anxiety and left the package, the packed luggage near the back door. In case they had to make a sudden getaway, they could easily throw them back into the car. The car had several shiny circles on the trunk, and they were adamant that these circles were not on the car before the trip. <clears throat> so they held a compass near where these circles were on the car, and they said that when they did that, the compasses would spin like crazy. They were still confused and they wanted answers to fill in the missing gaps of their trip on their way home. They tried to retrace their steps, but neither of them could remember what happened after Betty rolled down the window. Once they got home, Betty Hill started reading books about UFOs. Ten days after the strange encounter, Betty Hill began experiencing very intense dreams. In those dreams, she said that she and Barney were walking through a forest near their abandoned car. She was in front and Barney was behind her. They each had a strange entity on either side of them. These entities were a shiny, dark uniform and similar colored caps. They were just like what Barney had described when he was looking through the binoculars at the men-like things in the plane. These strange entities were shorter than the hills, coming in at around 5 feet. Which, I mean, that's not unreasonable. It's two inches shorter than me, so... Yeah, it's a good height. It's a good height. (laughs) Their skin, they described their skin as a strange gray color, and they had extremely dark eyes. Betty Hill recalled walking up a large ramp, which extended from a huge disc-shaped object. She and Barney got separated, and a figure Betty referred to as the leader informed her to keep them together, that to keep them together, it would take a while to perform examinations. She walked around the room and picked up a book that had strange symbols on it. Uh, who she described as the leader then produced a detailed star map showing her where they came from. Then there was a disagreement. The hills were brought back to the car. The strange entities wished they were not. They would not remember the incident. What's bizarre was that the dreams were very real and detailed, and they continued for five straight nights before suddenly stopping. She never experienced them after that. Some believe that this suggests an outside control or someone something planting the dreams. Others say it was a subconscious mind which had sorted through some bizarre memories and then locked them away for good. So I just wanted to add here that so we there's in there's an interview with Betty Hill on YouTube. Um I think and it was taken in like the 90s or something. So this was like a couple decades after this whole thing went down and this guy was basically just asking her about her experience um, and she mentions this particular time when she's talking to a leader and she's like, Hey, I know you're not from this planet. Like, where are you from? And she said that he like tried to describe it to her and he was talking about different constellations and stuff, and she was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he she said that he was kind of like surprised and she was like, he was saying or he was confused about why she didn't know more about, like, the universe and space and constellations. He was like, you guys don't know all of this? And she was like, no. And he was, like, kind of disappointed. And then he took out this star map thing that we talked about. And he was basically just tracing out, like, what where they're from and how where it is in relation to Earth. And she asked to keep it. And he was like, yeah, you can. And then the other guys in the ship were like, no, she can't keep that. We don't want her to remember this. She can't take this object and have it. So that was like the disagreement that they had (laughs) and caused relief. Yeah. They didn't want her to keep the star map so that they had like evidence and she would remember it. And I just thought that was funny. Also, I thought it was funny that, of course, they're probably so smart. They're like, you guys don't know this shit. You're so dumb. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because
0: they're like, everyone on this earth is so dumb. Of course. Yeah. I think that makes it legit. That alone makes it a legitimate story.
1: (laughs) I kind of agree, yeah.
0: (laughs) On September 21st, just two days after the sighting, Betty contacted Pease Air Force Base nearby. She wanted to report this strange happening, but feared others would mock her or question her, so she kind of withheld some certain details of the story. However, Major Paul Henderson contacted the Hills and said he wanted a more detailed account. He kind of felt like she was holding back and he wanted to know what it was. On September 26th, their findings led them to believe that the Hills had likely misidentified the planet Jupiter. Which, like what? Which, yeah, I don't know how Jupiter was that close to you? It was beeping around your car? Yeah. I don't know. Over the following years, many UFO investigations would later take place, and their findings would come to back up the Hills account, and the military would change their stance on identifying the mysterious object several times. The initial report, led by Major Henderson would find its way to the military's UFO research group, Project Blue Book. The day Major Henderson released his conclusions, Betty Hill, after reading a book by Major Henderson about UFOs, contacted Major Donald Kehoe. She recounted her experience to him and stated that her and her husband were thinking about hypnotic regression just to get to the bottom of all of this. It was their incessant pushing that led them to a revealing hypnotic regression therapy, the first in a UFO case. Their new statement was passed on to Walter Webb, who's a UFO researcher, and he wanted to meet them at once. Betty and Barney Hill met with Walter Webb on October 21st, just about a month after the encounter. The interview was six hours, which is a crazy long time. Mm-hmm. Like the Hills, Webb said that a mental block was preventing them from recalling their encounter. Webb fully believed that Betty and Barney Hill were telling the truth and that the incident probably occurred exactly as reported. Betty Hill continued to suffer persistent
1: ailments. She had anxiety that would spring up out of seemingly nowhere. There was also a feeling of alertness that would force her to keep packed bags by the door of their home at all times. Both Betty and Barney Hill took regular drives to the location where they first witnessed the strange craft in hopes that maybe it would drag their memories. In November of 1962, about a year after the encounter, the Hills met with Captain Ben Sweat who had talked of hypnosis at the Hill's local church. They asked him whether hypnosis might be able to unlock their hidden memories. Sweat said it probably would, but that he was unqualified to perform hypnosis on them. He also warned them against using charlatans or amateurs. Betty was gung-ho and ready for the hypnotic regression, but Barney was not as sure as his wife. He believed it would help his wife, though, since she was struggling much more trying to adjust to the bizarre, life-changing experience. In the second half of 1963, Betty and Barney Hill made several talks regarding their encounter at local UFO groups and gatherings. By December of 1963, they met with Benjamin Simon, and after several initial meetings on January 4th of the next year, the first regression session began, lasting up until June of that year, 1964. Benjamin Simon performed all of the hypnotic sessions on the hills privately and separately so that they wouldn't influence one another. Barney was initially nonchalant about the sessions and the encounter in general, but Simon suspected that this outward attitude masked a deep concern. With this in mind, Simon regressed Barney first, and the results were immediate.
0: Yeah, so if you guys are interested in listening to the tapes, they have the hypnotic regression tapes uh, on YouTube. You can find them Mm -hmm. easily. And he, when he talks about it, he's genuinely scared. Like I don't yeah. think you can fake that in, in an interview.
1: That feeling. No, I he really felt didn't scared. I mean, yeah, like you guys should listen to it at least the first few minutes. And like when I mean, we're gonna say what he kind of talked about in these tapes, but when he is saying it, first of all, you can tell he's in some kind of a trance because yeah. the way he's talking mm-hmm. is like, I open the door. Like it's just yeah. very like slow and. And then when he recalls when he's actually looking at the craft, he starts, like, f- genuinely freaking out and, like, crying and just, like, he's terrified. And the guy has to tell him to, like, calm down. They can't hurt you. That You're not really there right now. So it is compelling, I, I, so, I would yeah. say. Like, that actually that got
0: me, like... I'd file it under evidence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the following is the adduction experience through Barney's eyes that came out during the hypnotic... Regression sessions. When Barney recalled the strange entities through the binoculars and them looking back at him, genuine fear and terror broke out. He recalled that he was so terrified during the encounter that he had kept his eyes shut through most of the experience. He claimed after turning to run for the car, the strap on the binoculars snapped as he ripped it from his face. He could clearly recall driving away from the bizarre craft and seeing it in the distance behind them. Then his recall became very intriguing and a little unnerving. For some, he suddenly had an urge to take the car off the road, take it into the woods and onto a dirt road. He drove down this quiet track, and then six men appeared in the middle of the road. Before he had a chance to stop the car, it just stalled and came to a stop right before these six men. Three of the men approached the car, and then Barney recalls their black, uniform like attire and caps that they wore on their heads. He said specifically that they looked like Nazis. In his mind, he could recall a voice telling him not to fear them. The leader told Barney to close his eyes, and Barney said, quote, I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes, end quote. He would claim this stare from the men had a mesmerizing effect. As a testament to just how frightened Barney was, whenever there was any mention of the strange eyes, he would cry things out like, those eyes, they're in my brain, or all I see are those eyes, they're just there. They're just close up, pressing against my eyes. Like in Betty's dreams, Barney and Betty were led up a large walkway that extended from the huge disc-shaped craft. Once on board, they were separated. Barney remembers lying on examination table, and he kept his eyes tightly shut. He recalled a cup-like device that was placed on his genitals to retrieve a sperm sample. He felt his skin scraped from his arms and could feel their presence as they peered into his ears and mouth. One particularly interesting detail was the feeling that someone was working their hands over his spine, and he thought they were counting the vertebrae. In another similar detail to Betty's recollection, he claimed their language seemed to be like strange mumbles, however, at one time he could understand them in English when they were directing their speech to him. He recalled that the mouths of the entities appeared to not move when they were talking, and he described their method of communication as thought transference. It was thought that this phrase was used as the idea of telepathy in what it was, which was unknown to Barney at the time. In short, this part could also be a detail that does lend to the account towards credibility. hmm And so now this is the abduction experience
1: through Betty's eyes and the memories that she conjured up during her regression sessions. In Betty's sessions, she remembers Barney at the car as he watched the hovercraft leave. Many of Betty's regression memories matched her husband's. In fact, many of her revelations mirrored those of her intense dreams from that bizarre five-day period following the episode. She was, as in her dream, left with the leader of the group. He inspected under her arm, pointing a large lens at it and taking skin samples. They removed samples from her ear, nails, and her hair. She also recalled the long needle being inserted into her navel. The leader told her that it was a pregnancy test, and and he was surprised at the pain it caused Betty. Apparently, when the leader placed his hand over her eyes, the pain stopped immediately. Now, in Betty's recollection, she claims that the men were moving their mouths and talking to her. It was not a case of telepathy like Barney remembers. They were communicating verbally and in English. It was during these episodes in her regression sessions that Betty became emotional and upset. During one particular session, she was so distressed that Simon decided to end it early and bring her out of hypnosis immediately. Also, during Betty's hypnosis sessions, she recalled the star map from her dreams. During her examination, she had asked the entity where they came from. The leader produced a three-dimensional, or what some believe now to be a holographic, star map. The leader told her the 12 glowing dots were stars, and the lines that connected them were routes or directions from their star systems to others. While she was under hypnosis, Simon suggested that when she came out of the session, she would draw this said star map. To sum, the drawing of this star map is yet another key piece of evidence that authenticates the Hill's claims. Also, the fact that she said it was three-dimensional, like, you don't know what holographic means in 1961 or 62 or whatever this is. So I feel like that's kind of also, like, why would she say that if... she had no idea, yeah. Right.
0: Ugh, I don't know why, but every time aliens are depicted, whether it's in movies, TV shows, they're always so much more advanced than us. Well, well,
1: and the tapes actually, she said that the leader said how long they had their planet had been around. Yeah, I don't remember the n- number now, but it was a lot longer than Earth had been around. Like what, four yeah. hundred something million years Earth has been here, right? Give or take a couple. Yeah, and so theirs was a lot, lot longer. So. That I mean, they've been around longer, so they they had more things. time to discover things. I guess.
0: Ugh! Every time, every time we might catch
1: up in another few million years. We're Ooh. gonna be the aliens to a new another planet, a That'd new be planet. Sick! Wow! Yeah, we're gonna be abducting people on other planets.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I that's very earthy of us to abduct someone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you're right
0: we would just yeah we wouldn't test them and let them go with yeah. like i don't like want to do, yeah, do, do something. Or something yeah it's terrible <laughs> okay so back to the star map some researchers refer to the case as the zeta reticuli incident i don't know if i'm saying that right that's sounds right retic reticuli okay yeah so we'll go with that what's cool about betty's star map is that it looks almost identical to the zeta reticuli star system Many UFO researchers stated that we were unaware of this star system at the time and that the discovery would actually come from this drawing. This is not quite true. Knowledge of the zeta reticuli, or at least its general location, go back to the mid-1750s, and it obviously has always been visible before Betty Hill's sketch. However, that being said, despite factoring in Betty Hill's higher-than-average education, it is unlikely that she would have been aware of it. If she was, she certainly would not have it memorized down to the detail that she depicted, especially as someone with little to no interest in astronomy. In 1966, following the circulation of the sketch in The Interrupted Journey, school teacher and amateur astronomer Marjorie Fish from Ohio contacted the Hills. It was her belief that the glowing dots that Betty saw inside the craft on the holographic model might be able to be matched to an actual star system, this started a project she embarked, which would take six years to complete, but it resulted in what is now known as the fish model. Before this, let's talk a little bit about Zeta Reticuli System, which has come up several times in UFO and conspiracy reports. The most notably mentioned is the Serpo Project, an apparent exchange program between the human and alien race. As an interesting side note, some claim that reptiles come from this system, Is that why the word Serpo or Serpent masks this top-secret mission? Some ask, is there a connection to the bizarre reptilian agenda? Who knows? In 1972, three years after Barney Hill's death, Marjorie Fish produced what is now referred to as the Fish model. This represented six years of work where she produced over 20 three-dimensional models searching the star systems neighboring Earth to a whopping distance of 65 million light-years. She also spent hundreds of hours searching and photographing the night skies so she could view various star systems from various angles. Eventually, she settled on the Zeta Reticuli system. And I think even the biggest skeptic has to admit the similarities are remarkable. What's particularly eye opening was the fact that only this particular star system matched Betty's drawings. Or drawing. When she started, Marjorie Fish had expected to find several star candidates. The fact that there was only one match to her anyway suggested that Betty and Barney's account was genuinely accurate. Fish suggested that each of the 12 stars were thought to have planets around them that could potentially support life. All the life-supporting planets were included in the map. So let's assume that Betty's star map is accurate, right? And the Hill's captors were really aliens from this faraway star system. That means that at least 12 other planets exist within this system that could potentially support life. If that's the case, I think it really begs the question is each planet different, harboring unique lives on each one or are they all inhabited by the gray entities that the hills spotted? Oh, Twilight Zone. Yeah, let's put like <coughs> Twilight music in right there. Okay. Okay. Noted.
1: <laughs> Uh, So the big question still lingers. Is there a genuine connection to the Zeta Reticuli System and secret missions like Project Serpo? Is it a coincidence that this particular mission occurred in 1964, just three years following the Hill's encounter, and at a time when UFO sightings were seemingly increasing by the year? Could a mission, a decade after the alleged meeting with the Ebens and President Eisenhower, have been the reason for the increase in such sightings? Is it worth the reminder that, if the account is true, part of the agreement of that meeting was the authorized abduction of human citizens and the abductees would have no recollection of it? Maybe that explains the line that Betty heard in her dreams that the other men don't want you to remember. Coming, apparently, after a disagreement of some kind, which, according to her, was based on the fact that they didn't want her to take evidence back with her to have proof of this sighting. There's another controversial figure in the UFO community, Bob Lazar. He claims a connection between alien visitations and the Zeta Reticuli system. He claimed when entering the public domain in the late 1980s, there was top secret documents that he had seen working the black budget environment of the shadow government. <laughs> that just sounds like a whole,
0: yeah, whole that event. Yeah, a little...
1: Okay creepy. Yeah, according to Lazar, these documents would state that extraterrestrials from Zeta Reticuli were visiting Earth and had been for at least 10,000 years and they had an active hand in the history of the events of the Earth and humanity. Shit, that's like some Forrest Gump shit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Best movie ever. <clears throat> it really is.
1: Lazar claims that there's a joint alien human secret project operating from secret locations around the planet. This presence and these secret projects share a connection to the alien abduction phenomena. Some say the closest star is so far away that aliens would need lifetimes of travel time to reach us. Our own sun takes about 200 million years to go around the Milky Way just once. The nearest star to our sun, Alpha Centauri, is about four light years away, which is close to 24 trillion miles. However, I think Think one could argue we are understanding space travel within our own comprehension. After all, we're dumb, according to the aliens. Super intelligence might look at distance the way we might look at a plane trip from New York to Tokyo. Which, of course, like I have to agree with that. If they're mm-hmm. so much more advanced than us to be able to do what they're doing, like they're not taking Spirit Airlines. They're not taking. <laughs> this is not United Airlines. Like <laughs> they have some more stuff going on. Their their perspective on everything is so different than ours yeah but then i'm sure for every believer there is a non-believer what betty and barney hill supposedly saw and described are now well known as gray aliens or quote the grays Uh, however at the time such a description was not so well known does this lend another piece of credibility to their story well some say yes other argues no there was an episode called the outer limits which had aired around two weeks before the hill's alleged abduction One of the characters in the episode is a bald, gray-skinned alien. A lot of people believe that this influenced them without them even knowing it. Betty Hill, though, insisted that she had not watched the show in question. In fact, she says she had never even heard of it. While there is undoubtedly resemblance, it is hardly a perfect match, but it's a reasonable point to raise. Perhaps one should ask where the idea for the original television character came from. Well, some say the interracial Hill's relationship in the 1950s And 60s is an indicator of the genuineness of their account. Why would they draw unwanted attention when obviously they were already receiving negative attention as an interracial couple? Others say the fact that they were an interracial couple was a major factor in the incident. The general argument around this statement is that the Hills couple suffered a bizarre hallucination due to the pressures of an interracial relationship in a country that was definitely still struggling with inequality. Betty Hill dismissed this notion, and she said they received no animosity from their local community or families. While the Northeast of the United States still had its problems with racism, it was definitely different than the deep segregation that was still prevalent in the American South at the time.
0: The Hills were kind of the first ones to really establish the template of an alien abduction encounter. There is no doubt that at least a small proportion of the many claims of abductions that would follow over the years, you know, may have been borrowed from the Hills' account. However, for the vast majority of subsequent accounts, the fact that they provided the same thing also could be a nod to the authenticity of the story. For example, there's the argument that you can only describe what you see and or remember. Someone once said you only dream things that you've seen, and I don't remember who told me that, and I don't know if that's true because I'm not a scientist. I feel like
1: everyone just says that. Like, yeah. The things that
0: you dream are things that you've seen in every everyday life. Yeah, which is crazy. So I don't know. I don't know if that's true or if it's just something I've heard, but if we assume the same extraterrestrial race is behind the surge of abductions in the 60s, it would make sense that people would describe, you know, the same entities, craft, scenario, etc. There are alien abduction accounts that are on record that have happened before the Hills encounter in 1961. The gray aliens really only appeared towards the mid-late 1950s. Many encounters with apparent aliens prior to this are mutual meetings and involve more humanoid-type-looking aliens. At the supposed Eisenhower meeting, there was an apparent other meeting with a different alien race. However, these are all speculative theories with assumptions and claims with little to no facts. Sightings and alien abductions happened after this, and it would seem that they occurred all over the world and still happen today. Yeah, definitely. Another claim to explain what the Hills had experienced came from a New Hampshire resident, Jim McDonald. He retraced the route the Hills had taken and felt that what they had actually witnessed was an aircraft warning beacon that resides on the nearby Cannon Mountain. McDonald claimed the angle the Hills would have witnessed the beacon from and the timing of it did match their accounts. While this sounds very reasonable on the surface, it loses just a little bit of credibility when the rest of the abduction incident is just explained as sleep deprivation and false memories. To say the Hills were mistaken and tired doesn't really explain everything. If the whole thing was merely a sighting, then perhaps that explanation would fit perfectly. However, they both had a very detailed account, and one that would soon occur repeatedly all over the world. The details and events to follow appear to be very precise in their shared nature. Guys, the door just moved. It <laughs> was like... And I don't know... If ah! I... Someone Oh my god! What the fuck is wrong with you? What the hell? Uh, I thought it was debris, the and Me then I was too. like, wait, there's more no. noise! Oh, boy. Oh, uh, we just my it was just your boyfriend. Okay, close the door. We gotta finish the paragraph. Oh my god, I'm like shaking now. Me too. <laughs> so wait, scary. I... Yeah, um... My heart's racing. That was not a welcome abduct me, aliens. That was a please. I'm dying. No, but oh my god, that's how they felt. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay, so back to the um, claim from Jim McDonald. Uh, He retraced the route right, and everything sounds credible except (laughs) the point when the abduction incident is just explained as sleep deprivation and false memories. So to say the hills were mistaken and tired, it doesn't really explain everything. If the whole thing was just a sighting, then, you know, maybe the explanation would fit. But they both had a very detailed account and one that would occur repeatedly all over the world. The details and events to follow appear to be very precise in their shared nature. And almost, you know, mass hallucinations due to exhaustion can't be explained. Yes, even the most stable of minds is prone to a temporary breakdown, but. The Hills were both pretty mentally strong people. I don't know if they were ever mentally diagnosed or given a test, but for them to both react in such a way, such a strong way, at the exact same time, it, it's a pretty weird coincidence if you want to call it a coincidence.
1: Yeah. The account from the Hills could be broken down by some as easily explained. The circles on the car, wear and tear, sure. How did the Hills know what an alien looked like? Uh, while they claimed they never saw the episode The Outer Limits, did they ever walk by a TV playing a commercial in a shop, at a home, at a friend's house? The trip has two hours missing. It's been thoroughly looked at in a paper by Peter Brooksmith. Because it was dark out and they had been driving for a while, it's possible that they were just driving slow and the trip took an extra two hours. Uh, also, we've all been there. I mean, how many times have you been driving long and then just suddenly ended up in your driveway? Every day. Literally, yeah. You remember getting your car. And you get to the driveway, but you have no actual recollection of driving on the highway, maybe. The idea that you can forget time is always unsettling, but it boils down to how we perceive time. It also is about how time and memories are formed together. Think about the weekend. Doesn't it always seem to fly by? Even this three-day weekend. Yeah, it wasn't enough. I'm very confused. The longer it takes for our brain to process the information, the longer the period of time feels. So when the brain isn't doing a lot of processing, like on your commute to work, that never changes, the time it takes to do so doesn't feel that long. One study from the Journal of Consumer Psychology suggests the more attention we pay to an event, the longer the interval of time feels. There's another study from the Journal of the Association for Psychological Science that had similar findings. David Eagleman from The New Yorker says, quote, This explains why we think that time speeds up when we grow older. It's why childhood summers seem to go on forever, but then you look at the last year and the old adage, wow, time flies, comes to mind. The more familiar the world becomes, the less information your brain writes down, and the more quickly time seems to pass. Essentially, new experiences make it feel like time passed more slowly. So back to the commute. In the moment, that commute may have felt like it was taking forever, But when it was done, they get to their driveway, they feel that, wow, that flew by. And that's what makes us perceive that time is actually extended. But I feel that you could also argue here that if Betty and Barney had just experienced something that is as traumatizing as an alien abduction while on the road, that would be classified as a new experience, to say the least, I would assume. And their brains would be racing to process it. So wouldn't they perceive time as moving more slowly for them on the rest of their way home? So, I mean, there's nods to this being a reason for it being fake. Right. And it's just them losing track of time on their way home. But then I also feel that that doesn't really make sense because they said it was a traumatizing experience so
0: that they would have to be processing it at the whole way home. So, you know, there's give and takes here. Either way, now that I found this out, because I don't think I knew why. I just, like, blacked out on the highway all the time. <laughs> I'm just going to try something new, like, every single weekend. That I've never done. And then it'll just feel really slow. So okay.
1: So like you're gonna do a new experience every weekend. And then like when you're doing something like driving or doing something where you're not have to think, you're gonna be thinking about that new experience. And I didn't really think about
0: that. Just the weekends, I guess. I'm just gonna focus on the weekends to stretch them out.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, yeah. So yeah. If you want the weekends, <laughs> I am now processing what you're saying, oh, and now the time okay. is moving really slowly and painfully. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, if you're doing something new on the weekend, mm-hmm. maybe time does go by slower because you're thinking about that
0: new thing and you're not just in zombie mode. Mm-hmm. I mean, I for me, the work week kind of flies by because I do pretty much the same thing every day. It's a little bit of a change up, but really, like. Monday hits, and then all of a sudden it's Wednesday, yeah, I, and then boom, I, it's Friday. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Like, if you are if you are consumed by
1: doing work, then you're not thinking about time. You're yeah. just doing the work. Exactly. So it flies by. Yeah. So I concur. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense of why you think time flies by when you're an adult, because literally all you're doing is waking up, working, going to bed. Mm-hmm. But you're not thinking about anything besides that. Wow, that's sad. So time yeah. is flying by.
0: Time is really flying by. Mm-hmm. whoa, (laughs) Kirby is
1: falling into a deep existential crisis. Let's keep going. We don't have time for that right now. (laughs) Benjamin Simon, the one who performed the hypnotic sessions on the Hills, stated in his his conclusions of the case that the Hills witnessed an experimental and unidentified military vehicle. He said that Betty's confused state of mind resulted in the five nights of strange dreams had then gone on to influence Barney during his hypnosis sessions. Admittedly, Simon did concede that the incident was an extremely unique situation that resulted in a, quote, singular psychological aberration. The Hills rejected Simon's conclusions, but the sessions did seem to work because Betty's crippling anxiety ceased after that.
0: While Betty and Barney Hill still felt sure that their encounter was from visitors of another world, they didn't have an understanding of the reasons for their abduction. They couldn't see how it fit in the big picture of everything. Following the sessions, the Hills planned to return to their normal presiding lives, but they were interrupted by John Luttrell, a freelance reporter. He had received a tape of a talk given by the Hills in 1963. He later carried out further research on the pair and their encounter. On October 26, 1965, United Press International picked up Luttrell's story, and shortly after, the entire planet knew of their encounter. The following year, writer John G. Fuller approached the Hills along with Simon, and together they wrote the book, The Interrupted Journey. The book was a huge success and included many details of their encounter and Betty's sketch of the star map. Were Betty and Barney Hill the victims of alien abduction? Were they the unknowing participants in some kind of top-secret military experiment? We don't have the answers for you. We don't know the answers. No one really knows the answers, but it's certainly a case that still over 50 years is intriguing. Many believe this account is genuine. In terms of the Hills, I think it's notable that many people speak of the Betty and Barney Hill case. Respected people in and out of the UFO community speak highly of the Hills. One such person being a nuclear physicist, Staten T. Friedman, who had studied the UFO phenomenon extensively for some time. He spent a considerable amount of time speaking in detail with the Hills. At the end, he stated, by no stretch of the imagination could anyone who knows them conclude that they were nuts. Barney Hill passed away from a cerebral hemorrhage on February 25, 1969, at the young age of 46. Betty never remarried following her husband's death. She lived until the age of 85, passing away from cancer on October 17, 2004. Whatever happened to the Hills that night in New Hampshire, September 1961, still remains an open investigation to future UFO researchers and investigators. So I think it's worth noting, I mean, Barney
1: passed away from cerebral hemorrhage, which... And he also, it's it's been known that he had a lot of blood pressure issues in the years right before his death. And I mean, all of that is tied in with anxiety and stress. And I mean, that's all coming after this abduction. So whatever whether this was real or not it had a very real impact on these two like it it physically impacted them to the f- to the place where he was getting very ill and died from symptoms of stress and high blood pressure mm-hmm. and they both had really high anxiety yeah i mean granted forty six year old man might have high blood pressure regardless but they both had issues with anxiety he was going to a counselor <clears throat> so, I mean, I, I think it's worth noting that it had such a big effect on them, I guess. Yeah. Um, also, it's just – it's not funny, but it's it's kind of funny because l- listening to that interview with Betty, for some reason now looking back on it, she – it doesn't give her anxiety anymore. And now when she, like, recalls the, the whole incident, she describes it as, like, nice, like, yeah. fun – and kind of more of like a spiritual event. And she was saying that, well, not at first. She actually literally claims in this interview that when they took them to the ship and like the big stairs that ascended from it, they were both really nervous. And she didn't know what they were going to do to her. So she she said she socked the leader in the face. <laughs> this trick is like, yeah, I just punched this alien in the face. Which, Fight or flight, baby. I mean, good for you, Betty. but after she kind of calmed down, she claims that she had a good experience and she was talking to them and literally joking around with them. Yeah. She was talking to the leader. She was like, yeah, we were just shooting the shit about like food and TV and stuff uh, like here on earth and how it's different than there. And and she was like, I wanted to invite him back, but he said he couldn't come back. (laughs) So she made a friend. Like that sounded like a great experience. So it's interesting how differently they they took it. Mm Mm-hmm. But it might just have to do with their personalities.
0: It could be, yeah.
1: I mean, who's to say? Either way, the case had lasting impact on the media and everyone that's read about it. And it's still very prevalent today. Uh, The incident has been recognized by the state of New Hampshire with a state marker outside of the Indian Head Resort in Lincoln near the couple's original route. Also close by is another memorial at the Irving Express Gas Station, located off Exit 33 on I-93 Route 3, along the same route the Hills took to get home on that infamous night. On the exterior of the gas station, there is a large plastic-covered 8-foot square painting of a large-headed alien standing in the middle of a dark forest road. Above the painting reads, quote, First Close Encounter of the Third Kind, Betty and Barney Hill, September 19, 1961. Inside of the gas station's bathroom, the walls are plastered all over with articles about the hills and other claims of alien encounters, drawings of extraterrestrials, photos, and images from sci-fi TV and movies.
0: We didn't go. No, but that sounds like a place where our sticker would be welcomed. Oh, you're right. We should go there. It's on our list to go. You just get see. Stickers.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're going to still post photos, but these are just photos that you can see anywhere on the internet. Yeah. But um, it's interesting. The, the painting is kind of funny. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was big enough in the small seat of New Hampshire to get this kind of press and be noteworthy.
0: What do you guys think? Yeah. What I'd you- be interested to know. Do we have any believers out there? Any non-believers? Anybody on the fence? Like, I am on the fence, I think. I yeah, don't know what you, to believe. Yeah, you don't
1: know what to believe. Yeah.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. I don't really know. Like, my logical side wants to say, okay, they blacked out. Something else happened. Yeah. Something very traumatic happened to them. They don't remember it. It never came out. That That's the first thing I want to say, yeah. too, I feel. But then you hear all of this other stuff. Like, how do they both have the exact same? I mean- Did Barney just hear about her dream for five days and then all of a sudden, like, when asked? Because we talked about memories. If you say that you did something over a repeated time or someone says you did something over a repeated time, the memory can be planted there. It can be formed. And all of a sudden, yeah, you think, you know that you were there. You did it. Right. Did that happen? I don't know. Like Right. What they
1: call, like, a false memory. So it's, like, this claims to be happening a lot in like police investigations where they say something over and over again you start to believe it I don't I don't yeah I don't know too much about like that psychology is so interesting
0: you can really fuck up the brain yeah and you can like really mold a brain right
1: so something like that could have happened here but at the same time then it's like then why is everyone reporting the same kind of well, right. then I guess maybe that lends more to it because if you're watching a lot of movies that have that and you're hearing a lot of stories, then it's in your head. But they were also really early in this. Yeah, Like, she wholeheartedly claims, like, she never saw that episode. She never watched any kind of, like, UFO or alien movies. right? Or- she was like, I don't know. She's like, I don't know what people think aliens look like. That's just what right. I saw. And she... I mean, I don't know. Is she lying? I don't know. I... I mean, I'm not ignorant enough to think that there's no other life in the... It's the universe. Like, it's endless. I wholeheartedly believe there are other life forms. And I certainly believe... I mean, what are the odds that we're the most advanced? Like We're definitely Literally one in infinite because it's infinite. So, like, there's definitely people out there. People, I say, because we don't know what to call them. Living beings. Life forms, I guess, that are more advanced than us we have no idea what kind of technology they have we don't know what they can do if the the universe is infinite isn't it like an infinite possibility that there's people out there that can do this like yeah so that's why it's so funny to me that like i'm so skeptical of ghosts i know that's not real that's not real (laughs) but like aliens i'm like i think it's real (laughs) i don't know it seems so plausible to me
0: Yeah, that is actually pretty crazy. I
1: know. I don't know why.
0: Yeah. Maybe because there's a little bit more scientific backing behind it. Like, you know that there's planets out there. You know that there's a galaxy. Right. You know that there's a planet that already supports life if there was life, if there was life out there.
1: Yeah. I think the fact that we know nothing, what we know about the universe is so minimal, it's negligible. Like, we know Mm -hmm. nothing about the universe. So, there's no evidence to. Prove it or disprove it. Right. So it's like it's we don't know anything. Everything's possible, basically. But like when it comes to death, I feel I feel like we got a handle on that. Like I feel like we it's pretty final and we know what's going on at least for me. So like th- something like this is much more believable. Like this exact account? Do I? I don't. I don't know. But I. I. We were talking before. I was like I would mark this as plausible. Yeah. mm Hmm. In my, in my opinion, but I would, yeah, I want to know what other people think, too. Killer babes.
0: Plausible. Plausible. Ch-ch-ch. We uh, should have that at the end of, like, our spooky shit sessions. Yeah. Yeah, whether or not we uh, see anything, feel anything, know anything. I mean, I think we do do that. <laughs> I think we just need to mark
1: it as, like, yeah. confirm, deny, plausible. I want a stamp. Okay. You can get one. The I don't know what would the stamp because it's a podcast. There's no... Oof, yeah, that's going to
0: be loud. I think that's the garage door opening. Yeah, it is. Okay, guys, let us know what you think. I'm very curious. Let us know if you've ever been
1: abducted by an alien. Oh, yeah, I want to know. <laughs> um. Oh, I just have, like, one other point, because I just do think it's worth mentioning. I know they made a book, but they also didn't go to the media right away. Like, that was something else I was thinking about. Yeah. They kept this, like, Alone for a while. And then they tried to go to someone just because I think they were so freaked out that they lost track of They time, wanted to know their own
0: sanity. Like, they which
1: I get that. When I black out, I get really nervous the next day. <laughs> you were being like, abducted. I'm like, what? I could have been. Like, yeah. that's what's so nerve-wracking about it. So I get that. And I think they just didn't go to, like, newspapers and the media right away because they they probably didn't want to draw the attention because, like yeah. we said, they were an interracial knew- couple. Yeah, and they, they knew what they were going to get. Right. So I just think that was interesting. I just want to make that point. But I don't trust people that go to like a magazine the next day. Like that's no. a little okay, you know. Yeah, that's ulterior motives. Yeah. I think I this might be um the start of a conspiracy rabbit hole for me. I'm not too sure. Woo woo. I might have to jump on Netflix and watch some
0: shit on yeah. YouTube. There's something out coming coming out.
1: Oh yeah, we saw this the other day. It's Yeah, there's a new show That's, um, this Friday, I think it's starting and it's going to be on the History Channel and it is called Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation. So that's like brand new. And also for some reason, like the Blink-182 leader, Tom DeLonge is in it. He's like the producer. I don't know why he must be into aliens. Must be. Um, that's cool. So... Yeah, that's sa- it. Sounded really interesting. I'm gonna check it out this Friday. You guys should too. I think it's like a limited series, maybe six episodes or something. And yeah, then I'll then I'll really uh, then I'll really know my beliefs on aliens.
0: We'll give you an update. Mm-hmm. All that's right, all we got for you. That's it. Check our Instagram. We're gonna post cool photos. We'll post the star map. We'll post the photos that they drew of the aliens. The photo. Of oh, and the a really cute picture of the two of them and their dog Delcy. They're so cute. It's a really cute photo.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we'll post some of the mural gas stations again. We didn't go, but there's pictures out there. So, guys, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Killer Babes Podcast. Killing it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>